This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Wow, look at that date, December 27th. <laughs> and we're counting off the days left in this year of 2017. But let me take you back some 75 years when the show we're about to hear was first aired, 1942. Suspense was one of the premier drama programs of the golden age of radio. It was actually subtitled Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills and focused on suspense thriller-type scripts, usually featuring leading Hollywood actors of the era. Suspense went through several major phases characterized by different hosts, sponsors, and director-producers. Formula plot devices were followed for all but a handful of episodes. The protagonist was usually a normal person, suddenly dropped into a threatening or bizarre situation. Solutions were withheld until the last possible second, and evildoers were usually punished in the end. And the highest production values enhanced suspense, and many of the shows retain their power to grip and entertain. I'm sure you're going to enjoy tonight's performance that centers on a wartime story of a reporter being called to Madame Tussauds Chamber of Horrors. The episode's called Menace in Wax. For suspense, tonight we present Menace in Wax by John Dixon Carr. <laughs> During the French Revolution of 1793, a Swiss girl copied in wax the severed heads of those who had just been guillotined. She married a Frenchman named Toussaint and came to London, and she founded Madame Toussaint's Waxworks. There it is, still in Marylebone Road, near Baker Street Station. Not the original building. That was destroyed by fire. But it remained untouched when a darker shadow than revolution came to England. And they plastered high explosives all along that road and hit the cinema next door. We are going to London under the bomber's moon. Late one night in March of 1941, a young man hurried up to the great glass doors of Madame Tussauds. Hey, open up here. Isn't there a night watchman around this place? There is, Governor, and I'm in. Now, what do you want at this hour of the night? My name is Rogers. I'm from the Daily Record. Oh. If you let me get inside, I'll show you my press card. Didn't you get any orders about me? Well, maybe I have at that. Oh, you're the bloke who wants to see the Chamber of Horrors. That's right. <laughs> All right, you may as well come in. 
My paper got a tip. There's something funny going on around here. Something funny going on here? That's a good one. The raid's not very heavy tonight, is it? No, they're going over. You ain't heard where, Governor? We got a teletype flash. There was the Midlands. Lord love and I've got a sister in Birmingham. Oh, why can't she come and stop in a nice, safe place like London? There's the Regent's Park guns opening up again. My two teeth rattle and shakes the hats off the dummy's heads. You know, this chamber of ours is getting to be popular tonight. You mean there's been somebody here before me? Yes. A woman? That's right, Governor. About five feet, two inches tall, very pretty. If you like him, brunette and big-eyed and a phony French accent. No, Governor, no. This was only an old lady that lost her handbag. Oh, thank the Lord for that anyway. Now then, what is going on around here? Well, I don't know, Governor. You'll have to ask Pearson about that. Who's Pearson? Oh, he's the bloke that's the watchman down there. He's old and he imagined things. He phoned your piper. <laughs> have you got an electric torch? Yes. Then go straight on through the marble hall and down the stairs on your left. And don't speak to the policeman, because he's wax. <laughs> yes, that's the way, Governor. That's the way to the Chamber of Horrors. Thank you. Pearson? Hello, Pearson. Pearson? Yes, sir. Huh? You're looking for me. Oh, uh, I didn't see you there. I must have thought you were one of these wax dummies. Uh, ugly dim light, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Rogers is my name. I'm from the Daily Record. Oh, yes. I'm glad you came over. I phoned your paper myself. Maybe I'm just imagining things, but... Uh... Oh, I don't blame you. This place would make anybody nervous, especially during an air raid. Uh, well, sir, it's all right as long as you don't get to imagine they're watching you. Oh, and do you? Oh, yes. Sometimes. That's the gambling group in the center there. Uh-huh. What's that thing over there? That's the famous guillotine. Oh, wait a minute, old boy. You're not trying to tell me that's the original guillotine. No, uh, that was burnt in the fire. Madame Toussaint bought it from Sanson, the executioner. Let me tell you something, Mr. Rogers. What? Years ago... This is straight. A young French woman came in here. There was nobody else in the place. She thought it would be great fun to say she'd put her neck in the same guillotine as Marie Antoinette. So she climbed up on that platform. She snapped the little wooden collar down round her neck, shutting herself in. All of a sudden, she realized she didn't know which spring controlled the collar and which spring controlled the knife. Oh, good Lord, she didn't... No. But they say she went crazy. They say she screamed and screamed. What's that? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you, but... Sweet mama, I'm so scared myself, I cannot help it. Susie. Oh, no, 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 not Susie. Susie, you make it so it rhymes with floozy. That is not nice. Why, you little devil. I ought to turn you across my knee. What are you doing here? And will you forget that French accent? You're driving me crazy. Uh, you know this young lady, sir. Do I? She works for my paper. She's haunting me. Oh, Bert, that's not nice. I like the way I talk. I only try to give you ideas. It's just what I mean. Now, take your arms from around my neck. Uh, she's French, sir. 
Her mother came from New York like I did. She's got some funny ideas, accents, and disguises. So I dress up as an old lady, and I come along, too. That is clever, no? Definitely no. But I go into what I think is the lady's room, and there is Jack the Ripper. I'm so scared, I almost kick the ghost. Whatever else you do, miss, for the love of heaven, put out that cigarette. It is not permitted? It is what they are most afraid of in this place. Fire. If you vouch for this young lady, Mr. Rogers... I don't vouch for anybody. But go on now. What's all the mystery here at Madame Tussauds? You see the group over there? It's called the Gamblers. That three men and a woman in 18th century costumes sitting around a table playing cards? Yes. And about once a week, when the lights are out... Yes? Those dummies do play cards. Is this a publicity trick of some kind? Oh, no, sir. And what's the game? I'm not crazy. I know they don't actually do it, sir. What I want to know is who changes the cards round in their hands and why? Well, could anybody, anybody from the outside, I mean, get in to change the cards? Oh, yes. There's a back door. But why would anyone want to break in here just to change those cards around? Monsieur Bert, écoutez, listen. I have made a discovery. Listen, if you're going to talk, speak English. Or better yet, just keep still. But I have made a discovery. This card game. What about it? It is crooked. Here is a man which has two deuces of hearts in the same hand. Listen, Susie, I don't give a... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's have a look at those cards. Can I give you ideas, yes? Susie, for once you're right. And look here. Two of these players have all the clubs and hearts. The other two have all the diamonds and spades. Susie, how many letters in the alphabet? Twenty-six, no? And twice twenty-six is... Fifty-two. The number of cards in a pack. Give me a pencil, Susie, quick. The War Office, Whitehall. MI-5, Headquarters of Military Intelligence. There next morning in the map room, used as an office by Colonel Warrender. Mr. Rogers, I'm a busy man. I appreciate that, Colonel Warrender. Anyhow, sit down. Thank you, sir. Now, what's all this? These cards you claim form a code, is that it? Yes, sir. Now, look, sir. Let each letter of the alphabet represent a card in clubs and hearts. That's 26. And then? And then when you get to the middle of the message, switch the alphabet over to diamonds and spades. Then you won't keep on repeating. Now, will you read what I've got written on this piece of paper? Jack of diamonds, Q. Three of clubs, F. Well, that doesn't seem to mean much. Well, never mind the cards, Colonel. Just read the letters. Q-F-A-C-T-O-R-Y. Yes, sir. Q factory. Come on. Uh, oh, just a moment. What is that infernal noise? Johnson Burroughs. Uh, don't bother oh. with that, sir. Just read the message, please. Oh. Q factory. 10 p.m., 15th. Today's the 15th of March, Colonel. Well, all preparations made. Use dive bombers. I see. Uh, this message was left openly. So openly that nobody ever noticed it. Yes, the trick's been tried before. No contacts, no gatherings, no letters that might be intercepted. A whole spy ring could walk through that wax museum and read the message without being seen. You newspaper men trying to teach me my job? Oh, I'm sorry, sir, I only... No, no, go on. Well, don't you see? Three or four little boats with portable wireless sets go down the Thames estuary. When they're beyond pursuit, they send that message by radio. Somebody listens, 
And it's no secret in Fleet Street, sir, that Q Factory is out in the wilds of Glebeshire. It's no secret anywhere. And that we're making the Shaftesbury bomber out there. So tonight, unless we do something about it, they're coming over and bomb Q Factory to blazes. That's impossible. Why? Or can't you tell me? I can tell you this much. Yes, sir. Q Factory is so well hidden that even our own palace can't fight it from the air. That's one objection to this message. Any other objection? Yes, this talk about dive bombers. Dive bombers in a night attack? What's the good of a dive bomber if he can't see his objective? Well, suppose somebody showed a light. He'd be shot dead as soon as he showed it. Every inch of country for a quarter of a mile around the factory. A quarter of a mile, Mr. Rogers, is patrolled day and night. Well, just the same. They're going to have a try at it, sir. How? I don't know how. Then if you'll excuse me, Mr. Rogers... Well, listen, Colonel Winder. Will you give me a pass to go down there to the factory? Certainly not. No one's permitted to go there except the workers. How is the place defended? There's a night fighter station nearby. And several batteries of four 3.7 guns. Then give me a pass to the fighter station or to the gun post. That's a legitimate newspaper request. Well, I, I might manage a pass one of the gun posts here. Then you'll do it? Well, what on earth is that infernal row? It sounds like somebody locked up in a coat cupboard. Yes, as a matter of fact, Colonel, it is somebody locked up in a coat cupboard. A young lady, so-called. A young lady? Who locked her up? I did. And just what the devil do you mean, sir, locking up people in coat cupboards in the war office? Well, she's a bit excitable, Colonel. I thought that uh, she'd better not see you. Well, thanks for the consideration. Uh, there's just one other favor I'd like to ask. As well? If she asks you for a pass, don't give it to her. Don't give it to her under any circumstances. Well, what's her name? Susie Dubois. <laughs> You're rather too late for that, young man. The public relations office granted her a pass two hours ago. What? Oh, a woman to an anti-aircraft battery? Uh, this is what we call a mixed battery. Women on the guns as well as men. She said it would make a good human interest story for the press. Uh, mm. I must say, I agree with her. Uh, well, one moment, Mr. Rogers, before you go. Yes, sir. That gun post is fully two miles from the factory. You can go there... But if you take one step further, you'll be shot on sight by our guards. I warn you. I'll be careful, Colonel. I'll be careful. Somewhere in the West Country, a yellow moon shines over bare trees. A white mist moving clings to the ground. Are you sure we're on the right road? Oh, no, sure. They have taken away all the signposts in case there is an invasion. I know that. But I follow the map. The map cannot be wrong. We've been driving for hours. Must be... Yes, it is. Nearly half past nine. Half an hour to go. Trees, trees, and still more trees. Look. There's a break in the trees ahead. There will be open country in a minute. Yeah. That's funny. Look how deep the leaves are here on the road. But one thing I tell you, just between you and me and the bedposts... Gateposts, Susie. The term is between you and me and the gateposts. And speak English. I am speaking English very well, thank you. I do not need your help to be pure. All right, all right. Now, this man. Well, what about it? It say we should go through a lot of villages. Mitford, Archidine, and Saffraweville. I have not seen any villages. Did you say Mitford? We must Susie, let me have a look at that map. Come on, come on, hand it over. But what is wrong? It is a perfectly good map. Yes, Susie. 
It's a fine map. It's an excellent map. Only it's a map of the wrong county. I have made a mistake. No. I don't even believe you can read. This is a map of Barsetshire. We should be somewhere in Glebeshire. Now, where in the devil are we? We're at the entrance to some kind of clearing with leaves oh. on it. Oh! What was that? Hello! Somebody calling us. And if we're in Forbidden Area... I see him now. Where? It's behind us. He came out of a white cottage back there. It's a big, heavy man. With a mustache. Never mind the mustache. He's wearing some kind of a uniform and he's got a rifle. You think he plugged us? No. I think it is not unlikely. Get out those war office passes of ours. Wait. Good evening, my friend. Uh, good evening. Can you tell me... Well, we don't mean any harm. Uh, 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 Can you tell me what time it is? Oh. <laughs> what time it is? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, uh, 28 and a half minutes past nine. Thank you. I will keep you covered while I set my watch. There. My next question is, would you like me to shoot you both? No. Listen, Mr. Uh, Mr. McAllister. Captain. Captain McAllister. That's All right. right. Well, Captain, uh, this girl, uh, she's been reading the wrong map. You see, we don't even know where we are. You are in Hollywood Forest, my friend. Hollywood Forest? Is that good or bad? And you don't know what's just beyond the edge of this clearing? No. There's a big open space of a quarter of a mile. In the middle of that open space... Q Factory. We're right on top of it. Then you have heard of Q Factory, my friend. Captain McAllister, we're from the war office, and we've got passes to prove it. Let's see the passes. We were trying to find gun site number... Uh, I've forgotten the number, but it's here on that card. You've passed the gun site. Two miles back up the road. All right. Here are your passes. What are you going to do to us? Uh, I'm not in the regular army. You can thank your stars I'm not. I'm forestry preservation. Oh. You are not going to chuck us in the cooler, is it? <laughs> no. Now turn that car on, get back along this road as fast as you can. If they fire at you, as they probably will... Oh, I wish I am home. Pray no, Mao, I wish I am home. Well, then hope for the best. My watch had stopped and you did me a good turn. Now hurry along. Hurry. The gun sight of heavy ACAC battery. Four three point seven guns against a moon growing clear white. White as the concrete emplacements, sealed against light by the crews, men and women, sitting, waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, sir, uh, glad to have you both here. But this idea of yours about dive bombers attacking a blacked-out factory in the uh, middle of a forest is uh, rather fantastic, don't you think? Well, I admit it doesn't make much sense, Captain Bronson, but I have a hunch that I'm right. Well, glad you and Miss Susie drove out. Don't see many strangers. Frightfully boring. Nice country, of course. Good air and everything, but dull. Dull as ditch water. What's that? Only some of the lads and lasses inside. Like to uh, walk along the emplacement here? Oh, is that a lot? Oh, certainly, old boy. Why not? Bright moon tonight, isn't it? Yes, bomber's moon. We, uh... We nearly get shot on our way here. Quiet, Susie. We're not supposed to have been there. 
If I nearly get shot, I am going to say I nearly get shot. It was a man which is called, uh, uh McAllister. Oh, old Mac. Uh, very decent sort, Mac. He's a, a tree doctor. A what? Tree doctor. Got to have wood, you know. But trees start to die. Mac goes round the edge of the clearing and smears him with stuff to keep him well. Uh, how did you come to meet him? Well, the fact is, uh, we nearly got as far as the factory tonight. Oh, <laughs> Then you were lucky to get back alive. There weren't any barrage balloons over the factory, I noticed. Uh, hardly, old boy. They wouldn't advertise, would they? With balloons in open country? And if the Germans did use dive bombers? Oh, they're not coming, old boy. Just make up your mind to that. I wonder if you'll say so at ten o'clock. But it is ten o'clock. It's, uh... Well, it's just ten now. Well, it can't be. We drove here like blazes. It was only half past nine then. Well, then your watch must be very slow, old boy. No, I'm afraid you're wrong. I've never seen it quieter. Cold tonight, very dry for March. Look all around you. Moonlight, open country, not a sign of life in it. Quiet, peaceful, and silent as the great. What was that? Why, George, I think we've got some visitors. I think we're going to see some fun. Enemy planes approaching south-southwest. Action stations. Enemy planes approaching south-southwest. Now, do you believe me? Better stand back, old boy. Operation crew's coming on. I said, now do you believe me? I want you to watch these girls work. They do everything, you know, except actually fire the guns. Now, 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 keep your hair on, old boy. Susie, he still can't see it. Oh, they'll only be going over. You think so? Oh, yes. We sometimes get a crack at them when they're making for Bristol. that noise a thousand times. But every time I hear it, I get sick. Hmm. They're flying ruddy low, you know. Just what I was thinking. Spotter! Spotter! Any identification? Junkers, 88. Dive bombers. Newspaper people. Yes, sir. There might be things popping, you know, can't tell. I'd like to get below. No, no, thanks. I don't like this, Bert, but I'll stay too. Range finder. Range finder. All targets. Look here, you two. Those war office passes you gave me, uh, I'm not supposed to keep them. Now, I'd better give them back just in case. Predictor. Predictor. All targets. Here we go, ladies and gents. They're still a good way off, but they don't come any closer. Hmm. Must be going over after all. They're circling. I think they're waiting for a signal. Anyhow, here are your war office passes. You well, you seem to have got them all smeared with oil. Oil? That is all right, monsieur. When we get them back from Captain McAllister, they have oil on them. I think maybe he dropped them on the leaves, because there's oil on the tires of the car, too. Then I think how always in this we meet things that burn. 
at Madame Tussauds last night. They would not let me smoke a cigarette in case of fire. Fire? That's it, fire. What's the matter with you, old boy? Why did that fella, way out at the end of nowhere, want to know what time it was? Are you scatty? McAllister, you told me so yourself. He goes around the edges of the clearing and smears the trees with stuff to keep them well. Well, what about it? Suppose it was crude oil. Suppose between each tree he laid an invisible fuse of dead leaves soaked in oil. I, uh, I don't understand. In 30 seconds, a complete square of fire runs around the limits of the factory grounds. That draws the bombers in. And as the flames blaze higher, they've got enough light to dive on their target. There. Our night fighters are letting loose. Bronson, I see it all now. Come on. We've got to get to that tree, Dr. McAllister. It's a matter of minutes. Bronson following in the car behind us? Yes. He's following and men with rifles. We've got to get to McAllister's cottage. This McAllister... I'll bet you ten to one. The real McAllister's either dead or tied up in that cottage. The fellow we saw was an imposter. Look out, Susie. Keep your head down. Oh, those fighters. They will chew up every younger in the place. They have not got the chance of a snowshoe in heaven. No, Susie, not a snowshoe in heaven. You mean... I know you are English at a time like this, but I cannot understand. Look out. I don't see why he hasn't set his signal off. What is delaying him? Why don't he strike a match when the bombers come over? Because he's a good Nazi. A good Nazi? My watch was slow, don't you remember? And I gave him the wrong time. He had orders to strike his match at 10 o'clock, and he'll not do it until 10 o'clock if there are 500 planes instead of 20. Bert, I see him. Where? Far up the road. He's running. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. Think we can reach him before he gets to the clearing? Not chance of a snowshoe in heaven. Signal Brunson to pass us. The long shot with a rifle might... Bert, one of the Yunkers is hit. Huh? He's right over us. That's not all. He's unloading his bombs. The whole stick's coming straight down our direction. Keep your head down. Don't feel her. This is a dirt road. The bomb sank too deeply before it exploded. We didn't catch the blast. Come on, Susie. McAllister was just ahead of us. Come on, let's get out. We can't drive any farther. This road is full of bomb craters. Wait a minute, Susie. There's McAllister. He... He is dead. Yes, Susie. Killed by a Nazi bomb. Look, on the ground. What are those two white cards? Oh. Hmm. They're all smeared with oil. They must have fallen out of McAllister's pocket just before he got hit. Let's see. Huh. What do you know? What are the cards, Bert? Two tickets for Madame Tussaud's waxworks. I'm afraid our friend's never going to get to use them. Uh-huh. Not the chance of us. No shoe in heaven.
and so ends Menace in Wax. Tonight's story of Suspense. Columbia presents these stories of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there'll be another in this series. Same hour, 9.30 Eastern Wartime. William Spear, the producer. John Dietz, the director. Bernard Herman, the composer, conductor. John Dixon Carr, the author. Our collaborators on... Suspense. Here is a message of vital importance to every person who drives an automobile in America. There is wide misunderstanding about gasoline and rubber. And the government wants the following facts brought to everyone's attention. Actually, there is no scarcity of gasoline except in some parts of the East. But nowhere in the country is there enough rubber for military and civilian use. Starting two weeks from today, December 1st, mileage rationing goes into effect. This means that no car owner anywhere in the United States will be able to buy gasoline without a mileage rationing book. The purpose is to conserve the rubber we have by eliminating all unnecessary driving. When we think of the tremendous distances our mechanized army is traveling in North Africa and the long road to victory that still lies ahead, this extra effort on our part is slight indeed. Remember, everybody is going to have mileage rationing, so why not be prepared? The best way each of us can save rubber is by sharing our car with others. Let one car do the work for two or three. So why not arrange with the neighbors tonight and start sharing the car tomorrow? It's the one real important contribution that every automobile driver can make. Don't be a lone rider. Share your car and do your share for victory. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Fay next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Fay. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family druggist. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. <laughs> Two days ago, Phil received a notice to appear for jury duty. Fully realizing the responsibility of jury service, Phil's reaction when he first opened the letter was that of the average civic-minded citizen. I ain't gonna go! <laughs> but the next day, after Alice pointed out that it's un-American to say he wasn't going to go, Phil changed his tone. How can I get out of it? 
<laughs> However, he was unable to think of a way out, and today at 2 o'clock he has to appear at City Hall to see if he can qualify. Alice and the children are waiting for him to come downstairs. Well, Phyllis, I guess Daddy will have to go today, unless he can think of another excuse. What's left? He's gone through everyone in the book. <laughs> now, now, girls, your daddy was only joking with all those excuses. He really wants to serve. He wouldn't try to get out of... Hiya, kids. Oh, good morning, Alice. Oh, good morning, Phil. I was just telling the children that... Phil, what are you doing on crutches? <laughs> I got good news, honey. I broke my leg. Oh, now you broke your leg. Where did you break it? Right in the back of the knee. See the way it bends in the middle? <laughs> oh, Daddy, you're slipping. Two days to think of an alibi and you come up with a corn pole like that. <laughs> well, at least it's better than the excuse he dreamed up yesterday. Which one? Number 18. <laughs> The one in which you wanted me to shave all my hair off so you could tell them your wife just blew her top. I didn't say that. Oh, Phil, why are you trying so hard to get out of jury duty? A lot of men would welcome the chance to serve. Yeah, well, if that's true, maybe I could hire one of them to take my place. There must be somebody who would do it for money. Somebody who'd be... Good morning, Philip. <laughs> Well, if it ain't Willie, show me three dollars and I'll sell out my own grandmother, Faye. <laughs> hey, Willie, I got a proposition for you. How would you like to be Phil Harris for a day? Ooh, what a revolting. <laughs> How do you like that? I give the guy a chance at heaven and he turns it down. <laughs> you better think that over, Clyde. I... I don't want to be Phil Harris. I've been William Fay all my life, and I like it. Only because you were born that way and you don't know any better. <laughs> Forget it, Willie. You couldn't be me anyway. There is only one Phil Harris, and that's I. <laughs> what did my sister ever do to deserve you? I don't know, but she must have led a very clean life. <laughs> she was just a fortunate gal to have gotten the pride of the South. Well, lucky little old me is just the luckiest little old thing that ever did live show now. Oh, right. <laughs> well, shut my mouth, mint my julep, and yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Are you finished, Aunt Jemima? <laughs> Getting back to you, William. You know, it ain't easy to be a Phil Harris. If you're looking for sympathy, you've come to the wrong person. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Philip, why do you want me to pretend I'm you? Oh, ignore him, Willie. He's just trying to get out of jury duty. He's trying to find someone to go in his place. Philip, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's a despicable thing to do. You're completely incorrigible, and it's about time somebody pounded some sense into you, and I... Oh, stop slapping my wrist. <laughs> Get lost, will you? Yeah, very well, but I think you are a cad. If you were any kind of a citizen, you wouldn't shirk your duty. Goodbye. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to do why his ditty. <laughs> can't understand it. How could Rexall keep a guy like that working for him and fire Remley? Oh, Phil, leave Willie alone. 
He may have his peculiarities, but at least he has ability. Why, if he ever lost his job, he wouldn't have to go around from door to door selling shoelaces like Frankie did last week. <laughs> oh, doll. <laughs> Remley was only kidding. He wasn't really selling shoelaces. After all, it takes more than one week to get a good job. Frankie was looking around. Being particular. I guarantee by now the guy has a fine position. Uh, I'll get it. Fresh fish! <laughs> Frankie, drop that tired halibut and come in here. <laughs> Haven't you found a job yet? I got a job. I'm selling fish. Oh, Frankie. What kind of a job is that? Going from door to door selling fish. How do you like that? Just because he married into money, becomes a snob. <laughs> now, do you want to buy some fish or don't you? All right, all right. If it'll help you out, I'll buy the fish you're holding. Oh, I can't sell you this one. <laughs> this is a sample. <laughs> a sample fish. Mm-hmm. You don't happen to have a catalog of your new spring line. <laughs> Look, are you going to sell me that fish you got or aren't you? No, I can't, Curly. Been carrying him around for five days now, and he's sort of become a pet. <laughs> I couldn't bear to part with little Tomaine. Now look, Renly, I'm not going to stand here and listen to all of this kind of I wish you wouldn't raise your voice. <laughs> You'll wake my fish up. Besides, in my weakened condition, you're shouting grates on my nerves All right, all right, wait a minute What are you weak from? I gave you money yesterday for food You ate, didn't you? Well, it's this way, Curly As I left my room to eat The landlady was standing there barring my way She stuck her arm out and demanded the rent well, It was a question of eating or paying the landlady Which did you do? Both Both? Her arm was delicious <laughs> Remley, are you gonna stop now with them wild stories? Ate the landlady's arm All right, so I'm only kidding Well, that's better Now look I'd like you to come over sometime and meet Wingy <laughs> Look, Remley, cut it out, will you? Now, what are you weak from? Well, I was ashamed to tell you, but you must know, my landlady put me out and I have no place to live. I'm weak from lack of sleep. <laughs> well, gee, Francis. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I was ashamed. Well, if you have no place to stay, you can... Well, you can move in with me and Alice until you find something. No, no. no. I wouldn't impose on you and Alice. But, Frank, I insist. At least stay overnight. Well, all right, but just overnight. Excuse me. Okay, fellas, you can bring in my four trunks now. Four trunks just to stay overnight with all that stuff? You could stay here a year. Gee, thanks, Curly. That means I can spend my sabbatical at your place. Frankie, look, you're only staying overnight. Hey, Mr. Remley, where do you want these trunks? Oh, put them any place upstairs in the master bedroom. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Put them in the guest room. 
That is, if you don't mind roughing it, Mr. Remley. <laughs> if that's the way you want it, okay. I guess that's life. When a man's down, he gets kicked around. <laughs> Nobody's kicking you around. I'm glad to have you live with us. Alice and me will be... Alice, uh-oh, I gotta tell her. Well, tell her, that's no problem. Ordinarily, no, but with you, it is. <laughs> hmm? You know, Remley, you're not the easiest guy in the world to live with. And Alice might object. Let's go ask her anyway. Why should she object to me? I'm not gonna be putting her out. I don't expect her to change her mode of living just for me. I don't want her to do anything that she... Curly, what's all that racket? That's not racket. Alice is practicing her song for the show. She practices every Sunday. Every Sunday? And every day. Every day, too? Curly, while I'm here, that'll have to stop. Stop? Why? I take a nap every afternoon and I can't be disturbed. <laughs> I don't mind her singing, but can't she do it some other time? Be quiet, will you? And listen. This happens to be talent. If you were to ask me who the sweetest one I knew was, I'd say you was. If you were to ask me who my favorite point of view was, I'd say you was. I've got a heart that hollers when you're not close to me. But when you're here, the funny part is my heart is a spherical, lyrical miracle all the day. If you were to ask me who my extra special guy was, I'd say you were. If you were to ask me who my rainbow in the sky was, I'd say you were. Supposing you paid a visit to a certain preacher Suppose you overheard me practicing I do And you were to ask me who the bride and groom to be was I'd say we was, me and you If we were to ask you who the captain of your crew was Oh, I'd say he was, I mean old corn poem If we were to ask you who the apple of your eye was Oh, I'd say he was not old ham hock. Yes, old ham hock. Sometimes I think he isn't worth the trouble. But when that curly head of his comes into view, then if you should ask me who the happy ones to be was, I'd say we was me and you. <laughs> Hey, Curly, now that Alice is finished, let's go in and tell her that I'm going to live here. Gee, Frankie, she sounds so happy, I hate to spoil it. <laughs> well, I guess we have to tell her. Look, you wait here, I'll go in and break it to her. You know, this situation requires delicate handling. Okay, Curly. Uh, Alice. Yes, Bill? Um, Alice, um, uh, about our empty guest room. Oh, did Willie mention it to you, too? Mention what? Well, this morning, Willie said he was getting tired of living alone and hinted that he'd like to move in with us. But I put my foot down. I wouldn't have anyone living with us, including my own relatives. <laughs> now, what were you going to say? Have you seen my Harry Carey knife? <laughs> <laughs> what did you start to say about the guest room? Oh, the, the guest... Well, mm -hmm. uh, as long as we have the room, I... 
Well, I... Well, I think we ought to use it. I mean... Well, after all, what are we saving it for? Oh, you know very well what we're saving it for. We plan to have another baby someday. A boy, we hope. And, well, nobody gets that room but my son. Alice. <laughs> I got good news for you. What? You just become the mother of a bouncing 185-pound boy. Named Frankie. <laughs> Phil, what are you trying to say? Oh, honey, Frankie's moved in with us. He's going to stay with us. I knew you wouldn't mind, and, and he's just... And... Alice, what are you doing? Looking for your Harry Carey knife. <laughs> and remember, ladies first. Oh, honey. <laughs> it ain't going to be so bad. Besides, Frankie won't be with us long. How long? Oh, just until he finds another job. You mean for the rest of our natural lives? <laughs> Phil, he has... Oh, well, if Frankie's in a spot, of course we'll help him out. He can stay. Oh, gee, Alice, I knew you'd say that. You're a sweetheart. Hey, Remley, come on in. Okay, Curly. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, Alice says it's okay. Gee, thanks, Alice. It's nice of you to allow me to stay here. Oh, that's all right, Frankie. But I'll have to ask you to conform to our household routine. Routine? Yes. <laughs> you see, on account of the children, we have to be very punctual. We have breakfast at 7, lunch at 12, and dinner at 6 sharp. Your room is next to the children, so you won't be able to play your radio after 8, and you'll have to turn your lights out at 9. Do you understand? Yes, Sergeant. <laughs> what time do we have band at practice? <laughs> Don't be a wise guy, Remley. <laughs> to go through basic training to live here. <laughs> what are you kicking about? At least you'll be able to get out of the barracks at night. <laughs> Very true. Well, I better go upstairs and get my clothes out of the trunk. Okay, I'll go up and help you. Now, don't be long, Phil. You have to be down at City Hall later to qualify for jury duty. Oh, Alice, why do you have to remind me? I purposely tried to forget you, it. You, you've been called for jury duty, Curly? Yeah, and I'm trying to think of some way to get out of it. You got any ideas, Remley? <laughs> yeah. Just get down and let him give you the literacy test. <laughs> that ought to do it. Mr. Remley. <laughs> I'm a little tired of people making fun of my lack of education. I went to school. My education may not be complete, but it ain't my fault if mother had to take me out of Harvard after my sophomore year. <laughs> Harvard? That's a college. I had to leave just before I got my degree. I was working toward a thud. <laughs> FUD? Yeah, PhD, FUD <laughs> Alice, I don't think he believes I went to college How could he doubt it? I'll go get your Phi Beta Kappa key and show him And I'd better bring your oars, too <laughs> What oars? Have you forgotten, Philip? Today is the day of the Poughkeepsie Regalta, 
and your rowing stroke for dear old Harvard. A raw, raw, rat for sophomore Phil. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter with her? <laughs> Somebody must have sprinkled paprika in her bubble bath. <laughs> hey, Remley, seriously. Now, look, I got to get out of this jury duty. Why? Well, because I'm sure that they're picking me to be a juror on a murder trial. The paper said they're selecting the jury this week for that wall bed murder case. So? So. I don't want to judge another man's life. After all, I don't know the facts, and them lawyers will confuse me. Oh, there's no sense kidding myself. I'm not too smart. That's a masterpiece of understatement. <laughs> Look, Curly, instead of wasting your time trying to get out of jury duty, why don't you read the papers and learn all the facts about the case? If you do that, you can decide whether the guy is guilty or not even before you go down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hey, that way I might not even have to waste my time sitting through the trial. I'll just phone in my verdict. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Let's get the papers and decide right now whether this guy is guilty or not. Well, come on. <laughs> Well, Curly, we've read all the newspaper accounts of this wall bed murder. I can't figure out whether this guy did away with his wife or not. What do you think? My dear Remley, <laughs> the solution is obvious. After carefully analyzing the evidence and weighing all the facts pertinent in this crime, I have come to the definite conclusion that this man is guilty. Unless, of course, he didn't do it. <laughs> Thank you, Sam Spade <laughs> Remley, look This guy must have done it Now, he claims his wife accidentally suffocated in a wall bed But that's impossible How do you know it's impossible? Well, it's gotta be because you... Look, come with me and I'll prove it All right. Well, how are you gonna prove it? Well, look, we got a wall bed in the little room off the hall Now, I'll show you it's impossible to suffocate when the bed is up I disagree All right, all right I'll pull the bed down and show you We ain't used it in a long time <laughs> Oh For a minute I thought you had the harp player in there <laughs> All right, now look Remley, do you see all the space in the wall? Yeah Now how could you suffocate? Look, when you push the bed up into the wall with a person in it, there ain't that much space Well, I'll prove it Curly, lie down Okay, I, wait <laughs> Remley, I'm going to be the perfect host you're tired from the lack of sleep. Yeah. Lie down. You think I'm crazy or something? You do it. I can't. I can't. I've got to stay alive to serve on jury duty. You ain't working. You got nothing to lose. <laughs> now look, Frankie, one of us has got to lie down on this bed to prove our point. It's evidence. I don't want to be evidence. All I want to. Hey, room. 
Gentlemen of the jury, I give you Exhibit A. Yeah. What a wonderful subject to reenact a crime with. Hey, Julius, there's something we want to talk to you about, kid. Sit down. Uh, no, 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 not on the chair, on the, right on the bed. Uh, yeah, we want you to, to, to uh, rest. Yes, son, we know that you work very hard Stop and... beating around the bush! <laughs> what diabolical scheme are you plotting for me now? Julius, that is an unkind cut. <laughs> Why should I plot against you? Why, I feel toward you like I would toward my own son. And I love every hair on your pointed little head. <laughs> Julius, you misunderstand us. We might have done some things to you, might do, that you consider unnecessarily cruel. But believe me, lad, <laughs> anything we've ever done to you has been for your own benefit. You mean like the time you tried to blow me up? How was I supposed to benefit from that? You were down in the dumps and we were trying to give you a lift <laughs> Look, Julius, we're performing a little experiment and we want you to help us Now look, I say if a person gets caught in a wall bed, they can't suffocate But Mr. Remley says they can And all we're asking you to do is let us stuff you in the wall So that we can see which one of us is yeah. right <laughs> Fellas, what did you do with the hammer? What hammer? The one you've been banging each other over the head with. <laughs> You'd have to give me a million dollars to get me in that bed. It's a deal. Here's two dollars down and you get the balance as soon as you suffocate and prove I'm right. Never mind, Frankie. Let him go. If he don't want to do it, he don't have to. Let's forget it. All right. Come on, let's put the bed back up. Help me lift it, okay. will you? Yeah, it's stuck Yeah Oh, oh, wait a minute There's a release lever in the back of the headboard there Hey, Julius, reach over the bed and release that lever, will you? Okay There <laughs> Thanks, kid, I... <laughs> hey, Frank Did... Did Julius go someplace? <laughs> Must have. I don't see him around. I wonder if he's. Hey, you folks, let me out of here! He is. <laughs> hey, where are you, Julius? You know where I am. I'm in this bed. Well, shame on you going to bed without brushing your teeth. <laughs> are you resting comfortably, kid? How can I be comfortable? I'm standing on my head. <laughs> Such a sloppy sleeper. Fellas, fellas, this ain't funny. Your blood's rushing to my head. Never mind that. Can you still breathe in there? Yeah, but I can do a better job outside. Let me out! Let me out! Let me out! Rather a high-strung youngster. See, Remley, I was right. He can still breathe. He can't suffocate in there. No, no, it's too early to tell yet. I bet you ten bucks he don't last more than five minutes. Okay, it's a bet. It's <laughs> impossible for him You're to... You're getting on me! What am I, a roulette for you? <laughs> this is 
conserve the air. I got 10 bucks riding on your nose. Ignore him, kid. I'm betting on you, too. Inhale deeply. The air is free. Use it up. I don't want to use it up. I want to say this for my old age. Now, you see, Remley, he ain't having no trouble breathing at all. We might as well let him out. Now, do you give up? All right, you win. That darn kid. He's living just to make a fool out of me. Well, that proves my point. Now, when I serve on the jury, I'll know what I'm talking about. I'll be able to convince the other jurors that a person can't suffocate in a wall bed. Suppose they don't believe you. Well, I don't. Julius, will you shut up in there? I'm trying to think. There must be some way that I can prove that he... Remley. Hmm? I got it. Well, we're all set, Remley. Right. Let's get started for City Hall. Okay. Phil, Phil, why didn't you tell me you were leaving? I wanted you to... Phil, what have you got tied on top of the station wagon? A wall bed? <laughs> I'm taking it down to City Hall to prove a point. Let me out of here! Let me out! For the last time, let me out of this bed! Oh, go to sleep, will you? Come on, Remley, let's get... Okay, <laughs> Folks, don't forget to contribute to the American Heart Association. Good night, everybody. Good night now. Good night. The program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Titley. Alice Faye appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Our Miss Brooks, followed by Nick Carter, Master Detective. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.